Hello, and welcome back to all our listeners to the Global Strain podcast, where we look at how the COVID-19 outbreak is affecting different policy areas and our daily lives. I'm your host, Joel Sandu. In this episode, we focus on Taiwan, which has been praised for its effective response to the coronavirus outbreak. How did Taiwan manage to handle the outbreak so effectively? And what was its approach to combating disinformation around the virus and educating its population on best practices? Our colleague Alistair Chang discussed these and other questions with Taiwan's digital minister, Audrey Tang. Audrey is a software programmer described as one of the 10 greats of Taiwanese computing personalities. Audrey was named a minister without portfolio in August 2016, meaning she does not head a particular ministry. She took office as the digital minister of Taiwan on October 1st, 2016, and was placed in charge of helping Taiwan's government agencies communicate policy goals and manage information published by the government through digital means. At the age of 35, Audrey Tang became the youngest minister without portfolio in Taiwan's history. Our colleague Alistair spoke to Audrey Tang. Now, you may remember Alistair from one of our previous episodes on the Global Futures podcast when we interviewed him about media literacy. Just a refresher. Alistair is a Robert Bosch Stiftung Fellow at the Global Public Policy Institute in Berlin, where he works on media literacy and disinformation. And we're delighted that Alistair has joined us again. And here is Alistair speaking with Audrey Tang. This is Alistair Chang. And today I'm speaking with Audrey Tang, the Digital Minister of Taiwan, about how Taiwan has been able to so effectively combat misinformation related to COVID-19. So I just gave a uh, video conference to the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada uh, and the idea of humor over rumor, uh, our counter disinformation playbook um, is uh, the kind of one takeaway that many people came uh, away very interested in because in Taiwan we don't have uh, any lockdown uh, and we don't have a lockdown on online speech, right? There's no censorship, there's no takedown uh, possible from the government. So we um, look at how uh, conspiracy theories spread and we see the factors that contribute to their basic transmission rate, basically analyze it as a epidemiologist uh, would analyze a, a um, human to human transmission uh, of biological virus. Uh, we see it as a kind of mimetic or ideological virus. Uh, and so we saw that a sense of outrage um, is the main determining factor. And that can be very easily uh, countered and vaccinated using the power of humor. Um, and so we shared many uh, cases uh, where um, we shared, for example, there was a tissue paper panic buying. Um, and when people panic buy tissue papers, they that's because they believe a rumor that says that it's made out of the same material as the facial mask, which we are ramping up production from uh, less than 2 million to 20 million a day. And so obviously people will want to hoard the mask if they believe this sense of outrage that the government is repurposing tissue papers to manufacture masks. But uh, that died down within just a couple of days because within two hours, uh, our premier, uh, he wrote this out on his social media, uh, showing his Botox and uh, w- uh, wiggling it a little bit uh, and saying, we only have one pair of Botox each, uh, and meaning that it doesn't make sense to hold tissue papers. Uh, and there is a table here that says, the tissue paper came from South American material, um, and this uh, mas- medical mask came from Taiwanese domestic material. So there's no way that these two can interfere with one another. And, and so the payload is, of course, just standard clarification material that's packaged literally with a tissue paper packaging. Uh, th- this is what a tissue paper package looks like. Uh, and so this went absolutely viral. Yeah. And, 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 you, and you laughed about it, meaning that the next time you see the conspiracy theory, you will not spread it because you've been vaccinated. The same psychological mm-hmm. motivation 
that turns upset to outrage has been repurposed into humor. And this is good humor because he makes fun of himself, not anybody else. And so this idea of humor over rumor, I think, is one of the things in the Taiwan model of countering disinformation that everybody can just easily um, apply to their communication strategy. And if they respond within two hours, this kind of viral memes that are designed to inoculate uh, disinformation will no longer uh, be a, such a large problem uh, during the pandemic. It's hard to inoculate post, right? Do you feel like... Um you found yeah, ways which is to why responding uh, within two hours is so important right. uh, because the vaccination mm -hmm. doesn't work as a cure, right? It, it, it's, it's a different thing. And when you already uh, believe in something else, then of course it's harder uh, to correct the message afterward. But we do that uh, still using uh, daily press conferences. Every day uh, there's a live press conference where the journalist and indeed anyone can pick up their phone and spread uh, whatever their um, conspiracy theories uh, at the Central Epidemic Control Center, and they will develop a counter response. For example, um, there was one day in April uh, where there's a, because we do mask rationing, uh, there's a, a district, I think, that only get pink medical masks as their supply. Uh, and uh, there was a boy that refused to go to school because he doesn't want to wear a pink medical mask, saying that their uh, schoolmates will laugh at him. Uh, and and the, the people uh, were, of course, responding to it uh, by encouraging him and so on. And, but that doesn't quite work because he just thinks he will get bullied for wearing a pink medical mask. And so this is a post response, right? So um, so a day after this happened and the uh, uh, 1922 hotline received this message, this is our counter response a day after, not two hours. Everybody. Uh, in the Central Epidemic Command Center, including the minister, start wearing pink medical masks. <laughs> and everybody, uh, you know, uh, changed their Facebook posts, uh, avatar or whatever, pink, saying that gender mainstreaming, which is a, you know, social innovation, is also to be shared uh, in a way that changes people's associations. So basically, it's not a, a counter message saying that, you know, it's wrong to discriminate against pink mask uh, wear. Uh, rather, this is the kind of performance art uh, where the entire CCC just start wearing pink. Uh, and so redefining, reassociating uh, this message. And, and this is also seen in many other you know, memes, like after each press conference, there's a spokes dog of the uh, Ministry of Health and Welfare that translates uh, social distancing rules, covering your mouth, washing your hands, pre-order your mask into very cute memes, which uh, still get into the cognitive space post a disinformation, even if uh, the conspiracy theory has already spread, because a human to human mm -hmm. transmission is not as viral as a cute dog to human transmission. With this dog example, uh, what was the process of coming up with it? it? You know, is it a gut instinct? Is it? It's a process. So uh, we have a team called participation officers in each ministry, whose uh, whole work is to work with people who feedback their social innovations through e-petitions or uh, sandboxes or whatever uh, platforms that we're using online. So so this is basically an online engagement specialty. And uh, they uh, work with professional comedians on such things. So this is a process. And in this particular case, the PO of the Ministry of Health and Welfare uh, literally lived with that dog. And so, um, and their home is like 10 minutes walk from the Ministry of Health and Welfare. So anytime they need a new picture, instead of paying Shutterstock or something like that, they just go home and take a new picture of the new post of the dog.
dog. Uh, and so this is um, basically what people would do on Instagram, right? If they want to garner a lot of followers, they just post a lot of cute cat or dog pictures and, and their uh, living experience with them. It's just that they imbue each such new picture with a new public health announcement uh, message. Uh, and so this is a mimetic delivery. And it was, of course, uh, not that easy to get everybody to accept that. But uh, after the uh, loss of the local election uh, by um, by many considered as a you know, conspiracy theory taking interference uh, into national referenda and elections uh, for the past um, year and a half. Uh, we have been perfecting this art of uh, what we call humor over rumor, which uh, at the first first line response vaccinates and then we cure using even stronger, you know, association materials that relies on cute dogs and pink medical masks, uh, things that breaks out of people's uh, original us versus them habits, but rather include all the different signs. Yes, like rumor, humor is so context specific, mm -hmm. right? What Taiwanese people find funny or cute mm -hmm. might not be true for Americans, so we couldn't just copy the dog, right? But what other pieces of this participatory process that you're speaking of, how would you distill that down into something that other mm -hmm. other communities can, can copy? Right, so uh, the, the three keywords are fast, fair, fun, right? So um, fast means that you iterate, you, you cannot start perfect. So the the basic thing is that you uh, have a hotline where people can tell you what you got wrong and everybody can just call, as I said, 1922 and tell the CECC uh, what to do, essentially. And so it remains a bi-directional communication where everybody can very easily, even for the people who are not digitally uh, so savvy um, to type their ideas, they can just pick up their phone and share their ideas. And we have uh, a large call center that just distilled uh, such crowd innovation into the daily press conference. It's almost like a ritual uh, where everybody views if they have the time or uh, at least look at the sign language uh, interpreter if they don't have the audio bandwidth. If they have neither bandwidth, of course, they wait for the dog picture afterward. So that's the fast part. So just keep iterating until you get it perfect. And then the fair part, which it means that everybody can look at the hard data so the mimetic uh, picture uh, doesn't work unless you have the um, data to back that those tables up, right? So, and the data is participatory, meaning that when we say there's uh, no shortage of mask, we don't uh, say it in a top-down manner. We say we publish the real-time stock level of all pharmacies every 30 seconds at that time, now every three minutes. So everybody can walk to a nearby pharmacy, use their national health card to get nine medical mask if you're a adult or 10 if you're a child every two weeks and see the stock level of that pharmacy deplete by nine or 10 after a couple of minutes on your phone using more than 100 tools, including chatbots. And these are all created by the social sector. So the whole point of trusting citizens with real-time open data is that people can hold each other accountable. And then people can do analysis that tells us where did we get wrong, like an oversupply or undersupply, uh, and uh, tell us to work with people who uh, work long hours who cannot collect the uh, mass from pharmacies because they would uh, close for business uh, during that late at night. We work with convenience stores and those uh, pre-ordering system. So the fair part ensures that we are inclusive and people who are left off uh, have a way to work with civic technologists to inform each other and also tell the government what to do. And of course, we all already do the fun part. So uh, fast and fair, I think, is the building blocks that enable the fun. The fun by itself doesn't work unless you have a fast iteration and you have a fair allocation uh, and trusting citizens with open data. You, you mentioned this participatory role of citizens, right? And I'm 
curious how you make sure that it's not just the most extreme voices like on an Amazon review to, to be the ones who participate. Well, uh, first of all, a, a call to 1922 uh, doesn't preclude anybody else from calling. We just keep expanding the call center. And so it's not a limited attention resource as you would on a uh, online platform with the reply button, which would be people attacking each other's face, not each other's book, right? Uh, and so that makes uh, more sense, I guess, to build a online space powered by reply-free technologies such as Polis and Slido uh, and the joint platform of ePetition where you can have your pro and con arguments but you cannot reply to each other and that kind of automatically build a pro-social environment rather than an anti-social environment. And of course, uh, the, the good old telephone is still the best because there is no way to upvote or downvote uh, or reply to each other if you're making calls to 1922. Uh, so we use uh, plenty of spaces for that. There are, of course, uh, also more creative aspects of, of it. For example, the Cohack, the coronavirus hackathon, uh, where um, it's in uh, cohack.tw, and everybody can look at what other people uh, have in mind, for example, for these countries and these people who responded to uh, the call for open source solutions, they get the the winning prize is an electric rice cooker uh, that you can use to disinfect your mask. I made a video on that. And so on those themes, managed community resource make smooth transition to a new world, protecting vulnerable groups, protecting future pandemics, supporting frontline staff, and establish data-driven uh, risk communication. We use the police technology where anyone can submit their ideas and upvote and downvote, but they cannot reply to each other. And so then we look at those different extreme voices, and you will see that for this particular topic, group B is 22 people, and group A is 63 people. But the area measures diversity. It does not measure the number of people. So, so this area is not three times larger uh, than the group B. So even if you mobilize like 5,000 extreme people vote exactly the same way, it will not increase the area here by, by any bit, right? And so basically group A and B differ a very fine-grained uh, travel history for confirmed cases. This is a privacy thing. So because they don't manage to convince each other, this doesn't become the co-hack topic. But they do agree on, for example, the logistics map, like the mask map, the availability of not just masks, but uh, alcohol hand sprays and things like that. And these are like digital transformation for mismes and things like that are uh, very interesting uh, and they all agree on that. So we only choose the topics that has broad agreement across all the diverse groups as uh, the binding agenda for the Cohack hackathon. And this is important because we then make sure that the extreme voices do not dominate. They have to uh, do more uh, nuanced conversations and repost their statements in a way that can appeal to the other sides of the aisles. I think a lot of people wonder why Taiwan has done so well in, in handling COVID and fast, fair, fun seems to be, and humor over mm -hmm. rumor seems to be a, a part of the strategy. Mm -hmm. What other mm -hmm. reasons uh, would you, and explanations would you give? Also, I think this uh, mask culture where we uh, build a mask is not something that protects others, but something that protects yourself. And it protects yourself by reminding you to not touch your face uh, with unwashed hands. It's a self-reminder to wash your hands properly and not touch your face. And, and that, that's it. Uh, and so this is a, a um, interesting strategy. Instead of a, a being collectivist, which would be, you know, uh, we order everybody to wear a mask. Otherwise, you uh, put a fine or keep social distance, physical distance. Uh, otherwise, you, we put a fine. We, we never impose any fine for uh, physical distancing or mask wearing. This is just a norm building and the appeal to people's self-protection protect, nature. 
And if you're in a large uh, crowd gathering of 50 people and you cannot keep the physical distance, the few people who wear the mask can remind other people to take care of themselves, which is a very natural thing to do, rather than asking they, them to protect you, to respect you, which is a very difficult thing to do if you're in the minority. And so uh, we also make this mimetic uh, in a sense of that it's easy to share this idea of protecting your from your own hands uh, and remind yourself to wash your hands, which is what's required to make medical masks work anyway. Uh, and so this is, again, one of the reasons why uh, we have a mask wearing culture so quick after the um, epidemic has uh, happened and that we do not actually have to teach people how to properly wear the mask because they remind each other very easily and, and also uh, the nursery rhymes and things like that on how to and all that. In this norm building, right, is one critique is that it's only possible in relatively homogenous societies mm -hmm. uh, to do so quickly. As you've been working with other communities around the world, and have you seen that cultures that are, or societies that are more diverse are able to do uh, what, what you advise in, in well, the same I, I'm not sure about this homogeneous thing because we have 20 or more national languages, uh, including sign languages. And so I, I wouldn't say Taiwanese people are a homogeneous bunch. I think you can say that we're, we're very populous, right? 23 million people, but from Taipei to Kaohsiung through high speed rails, only 95 second, uh, sorry, minutes. So the population density, which is much higher in Taiwan, I guess is uh, both good for norm building because there's more social examples to, to look at, but also harder from an epidemiology standpoint because it's much easier for virus to spread, just like it's easier for idea to spread. So the high density is, is double-edged, I guess. But I, I wouldn't say that this is homogeneous at all. I would say that we work on a norm that appeals uh, to the common human nature of, of enjoy humorous messages of uh, liking cute dogs and cute cats and of self-protection and taking care of your family and things like that. So we are working on more universal message when we don't have the top-down lockdown or other top-down um, emergency order or whatever constitutional uh, powers. We never declare an emergency situation. So we have to you know, realize this kind of coronavirus strategy by essentially a co-learning culture, by making everybody a fellow epidemiologist amateurly. And so our vice president at that time uh, recorded this whole online course that uh, teaches epidemiology 101 to lay audience and and you can see here at Taiwan can help that us who can help Taiwan and if you scroll down a little bit you will see uh, the crash course and recorded by VP Chen Jianren and uh, actually the epidemiologist not only a vice president at the time but he literally wrote a textbook on epidemiology academician and he explains the Arnold value wear a mask washing your hands how the dynamic work how quarantining works policy for testing and so on in a very easy to understand uh, manner and treating essentially everybody as adults, as fellow practitioners of epidemiology. And this is as opposed to this idea of, um, you know, people need to be kept in the dark, are obedient, Confucian, collectivist, or, or things like that. This is treating everybody as adults and making sure that people understand the why of each uh, policy measures. With content like this, one, one challenge is getting people to actually watch the whole thing um, and pay attention. How do you think that piece through? Uh, professional YouTubers. YouTubers, they, they participated. They literally crowdfunded this website. This is not a government website. This is just a crowdfunding campaign and, and bond down by you know the, the leading YouTubers. And they all took quizzes 
um, and test each other's knowledge about epidemiology and found that there's a sense of, uh, you know, we don't know the essential uh, science behind what we're doing. And then uh, they promoted this film on a the leading uh, massive online course platform, the Ha Hao. So uh, within a few days, more than 20,000 people enrolled. Uh, and then they taught their friends and families. I'm one of the people who enrolled. You know, Taiwan is able to keep the numbers for the for COVID down. It's one place in, in, a, in a broader world where others are not following the same norms or well, uh, the same regulations. Right. Uh, uh, Prime Minister Ardern said, You're, we're pretty much doing whatever Taiwan's doing. Right. Uh, and, and they're also doing quite well. So, so yeah, the Taiwan Can Help That Us website is a distilled version of the Taiwan model that we're happy to share to other jurisdictions. And if people do not want to listen to the crash course uh, offered by our president, uh, we, uh, sorry, vice president, we, we also share this, what happens next. It's a really good interactive game that you can just, just like watching a comic, learn epidemiology and learn the uh, SIR model. You can even experience uh, with the lockdown scenario, how contact tracing works and things like that and see how those um, herd immunity, ICU capacity, and things like that, uh, and how that can successfully counter the coronavirus just by proper use of mask and things like that. And so uh, there's, of course, also a local trans translation uh, of that. I think it's been translated to many, many languages. And if you're interested in helping it to translate to other languages, that, that's great. There's also a German uh, language on that. So I think that's the content that we can not only contribute, uh, well, it does say Taiwan here. Warte mal, haben Taiwan und Südkorea nicht bereits in der Griff gekommen. And that is, um, I think, important to provide the raw material, the open data, so that the people who specialize in digital storytelling um, can then make such interactive storytelling pieces based on the data that we provide. And what about the collection of data? Mm -hmm. How do you ensure privacy or... We don't how, collect you know, extra data. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's, no, so there's no Bluetooth app or anything like that. Why do you think everyone else is so obsessed with data collection as, as the main focal point of, of the response? Well, I think that's because in Taiwan, uh, we had to work uh, with the constitutional limit. We don't have an emergency situation. So everything we do need to be pre-approved by the legislation. So we're bound by the Personal Data uh, uh, Protection Act. So our solution space is already very constrained to begin with. This is much like our counter disinformation strategy. We have to innovate on humor over rumor because there is no constitutional authorization for us to take down any content on the social media. So we have to, to innovate in a way that doesn't overextend the administrative powers. But I think this is a, a great opportunity for the social sector to jointly control its data collection, to care about their own health records to each other. Uh, indeed, the COHAC winners are all about making a record of your personal visit and things like that, your temperature, but not sharing it to the public or to the state or any company, but just uh, among the people who care about you, like your immediate family and things like that. And when a contact tracer do come to you, there is a uh, one-time URL that you can share with them that only talks in professional contact tracing terms, but so that you will not accidentally reveal the private information uh, of your other uh, friends and families that you have contact with. So getting contact tracers the information they need without compromising privacy, this is called privacy enhancing technology, or PET, and this is very hip uh, in Taiwan. So I think the other jurisdictions, uh, they may focus on data collection because they do want to extend their power. Even for state surveillance, 
like um, sharing the data uh, all to a trusted party. <laughs> uh, sorry, the, the ruling party. Uh, that is one. Uh, that is one part. Of course, uh, people also sometimes trust uh, private sector or multinational companies and so on. So this is essentially a, a norm shaping moment. Whether the data is to be collected by the civil society and only by people who care about uh, each other and know each other, or by uh, a one kind of state apparatus surveillance or by a multinational capitalist entities. Uh, this is what we are deciding now will shape the culture after the coronavirus. And so I think that's why everybody is so obsessed with this, because this is a, a norm-defining moment. Are you saying that then the data collection, if, if you shape the social norms properly, that mm -hmm. the data itself is not as integral? Or are you saying that the data collection from as a, as a grassroots effort where yeah. it's, yeah, it's that, spread that's out is, is the, yeah. okay. it's basically instead of data literacy or media literacy, which is people as consumers uh, of media and uh, passive objects of data collection, where instead of saying that we need to have digital competence, which means people are producers of media, amateur journalists, and also curators of data, data contributors. And when people voluntarily curate their data, of course, they only want to share it in a way that are pro-social and that makes sense to their friends and families. And this is what I call the uh, social sector norm building. And I think this is a superior model um, to both the state surveillance model and the capitalist model. What is a challenge that you're currently working on? This travel bubble thing, <laughs> how to uh, make sure that we trust each other's numbers, for example, between Taiwan and New Zealand in both mm -hmm. testing before and after landing a flight and that we can relax the physical distancing or large crowd gathering rules domestically while still allowing for limited uh, international travel. This is hard to balance. I mean, if we only allow for returning citizens in Taiwan, then of course, with the current border control and the quarantine, uh, we're reasonably sure we've been like 40 days with no local confirmed cases now. It's very safe. Taiwan's very safe now. So we can remain that safe. However, we also want to resume international travel with other economies um, that have also countered the coronavirus and that uh, create additional risk both sides. So we have to do risk communication and uh, also norm building. Like if I wear a mask to New Zealand, I want to land in New Zealand still wearing this mask. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and so uh, making sure that this is properly communicated uh, is a challenge because then it entails a uh, kind of mini-lateral agreements on many things. I, I have to ask what your take is on sure. global politics with WHO mm -hmm. and you know the this the role of Taiwan in, in the WHO's work broadly. Sure. So uh, I think this is uh, absolutely to other uh, WHO members' detriment that the Taiwan contributions, especially very early on, is not being spread to the uh, ministerial level. I mean, we had limited scientific community access in the WHO um, system, but uh, unless the other countries, vice president happened to be their lead epidemiologist. Otherwise, having scientific access is not the same as having political access. Obviously, you can have the best scientific access, uh, but uh, those scientists still doesn't necessarily translate those measures into actionable political action. And that's why the ministerial access is so important. And so, of course, we're building our own minilateral conversations through uh, these forums and these global cooperation and training frameworks with the uh, Japan and US and so one, but we uh, think this, um, I'm personally feeling that sad that we did not have the chance of getting the ministry access very early on during January. And when you're choosing staff in particular, I'm curious what traits you look for in people that you find most attractive. 
mm -hmm. in this work? Sure. So um, we basically recruit uh, people who can add a perspective to a cross uh, interdisciplinary uh, work. And so from each ministry, uh, if they're a career public servant, we only have one person uh, at a time. So meaning that, uh, for example, the foreign service, uh, they have easily more than a dozen people want to join in my office. But if they all join, we become a section of the foreign service. Right. So um, it, it has to offer a unique perspective that's first. And also, although they still report to their uh, like foreign service minister, they need to give to share as much as they take, at least. That is to say they must be willing to work out loud, not only to work uh, with other people's best practices, but also contribute their own best practices for other people who are uh, deployed from their ministries. So, for example, when the Minister of Culture uh, discovered that uh, if you award uh, people afterward, instead of doing re uh, reimbursements like KPI uh, matching things, it massively simplified the incentive structure. And they shared that in the Ministry of Education this, this, this design uh, designated uh, employee here, uh, staff here, uh, then learns about this and then can influence the Ministry of uh, ed Education to choose this new method as an alternative to procurement. And so all these innovations just spread very easily if you want to uh, share as much as you want to take uh, from other people's sharings. So these two are the HR criteria. And how can others, we've been talking about how Taiwan can help other communities, how, how can others help Taiwan? Mm. Well, uh, spread the message of the Taiwan model. Uh, Taiwan can help than us, and spread a hashtag. Taiwan can help, and Taiwan is helping. And so, then build epicenter to epicenter relationships. We're all very happy to work on, for example, um, privacy enhancing technologies through the Cohack and many other uh, endeavors. And so, yeah, just just you know, follow us on Twitter, I guess. And I, you know, on that point, when you talk about this work, you mostly are mentioning technologies that already exist, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering how much of the work requires new technological innovation and how much of it is really just utilizing technologies that exist in new ways. Yeah, uh, well, because uh, we are very agile, meaning that we have to come up with responses to the societal expectations literally every day or at least every week. Uh, we do not have time for uh, you know very long incubation periods when it comes to uh, research and science. Of course, the medical research is going on uh, with rapid test vaccines and, and drugs. These are new technologies, obviously. But on the digital side, we mostly just reappropriate uh, appropriate technologies as we see a fit instead of uh, doing any uh, new novel uh, applications. But we do shorten the iteration cycle a lot. So like on the traditional open data platform, which data is published usually every day at maximum, uh, we change it to publish every 30 seconds to in enable distributed ledger like accountability framework. And that's new, but this is just a new interval of a existing technology. It's a new uh, application uh, frame rate, I guess. Uh, but otherwise, uh, there's nothing new here. I think the, the government should trust its citizens. The more you trust your citizens, uh, the more the citizens will be able to innovate and uh, let you know what's really going on and, and what you do. And to give no trust is to get no trust. I, um, I really appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you. Bye.
You were listening to the Global Strain podcast. Our guest today was Audrey Tang, speaking with our colleague Alistair Chang. I want to thank both of them for the interview, and thanks to my colleague Sonia Sugrubova for producing this episode. This podcast is part of the Global Governance Futures Program, which is generously supported by the Robert Bosch Foundation. So a big, big thank you to the Robert Bosch Foundation for their support. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Global Strain on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or other podcasting apps, and leave us a rating and review. We would love to hear back from you. For more podcasts, opinion pieces, and written interviews, go to ggfutures.net forward slash analysis. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.